in your own community around the corner or around the world who are in some way, shape, or form disconnected from the kingdom family. And if, and if all we take away from our time together is a new awareness of who might be currently feeling outside of the kingdom family, who God wants inside the kingdom family, and to whom he's sending us as ambassadors in, in one way or another. If that's what you get out of our time together, then I have been successful in my, uh, in my task. Because that's really what I'm hoping um, for each one of us to begin to understand. Every person you will ever encounter in your whole life is dealing with one of three issues. Now, some people are dealing with multiple of these issues um, simultaneously, and that's challenging. But everybody, trust me when I tell you this, is, is dealing with one of these three questions. And you can, you can ask yourself, like as I say these things, which one of those maybe am I currently dealing with? People deal with issues related to identity, knowing who they are, questions related to belonging, where do I fit, who are my people, and issues or questions of purpose. Not only why am I in the world, but what in the world am I in the world to do? And that question circles back around for men over and over and over again over the course of a lifetime, depending on the stage of life you're in. It just does. And increasingly, it circles around for women as well. Um, women tend to focus much more on the identity and belonging questions than on the purpose question. I don't know why that is, but that's what statistics tell us. Men um, care, seem to care less about the belonging question, but a whole lot about the identity and the purpose questions. As a Christian, you have answers to all those questions. You have what people in the world around us, around the corner and around the world, what people are longing to know. That they are created in the image of God. That, that, that they are not who the world says they are, but that they are who God says they are. So precious and of such great value to him that he would condescend from heaven to earth and from earth to the cross and the cross to the grave and the grave to the sky in order that they might be redeemed in Christ and restored to a relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does any of this sound familiar? Because that's like evangelism 101, but we're not selling it as that, right? If we start with the real questions that people are asking, the real needs that people have, the real confrontations that people are um, uh, experiencing in the culture. I mean, are, do we have any identity issues in the culture right now that you're aware of? I mean, we have identity issues in the culture writ large. I mean, you will hear people ask the question, like, who are we as Americans and what are our values? Like, the, the identity conversation is not just personal anymore. It's now communal. But you and I as Christians, we have... Um, we, we know the answers to the questions that people are really asking. We're just not in conversations with the people who are asking them. So think about that for a moment. How, how could you have lived today differently? Just, just think about just today. What is one thing you might have done differently today that would have put you in proximity to someone who might be asking one of those questions? Because we tend to avoid people that are 
like complicated and asking questions and a mess. Thank God Jesus didn't avoid, didn't avoid all the messy people. Um, if you haven't read Adam Chambers' um, Eats with Sinners, that's a book that I would recommend. There's another one called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. This is another book on this subject of how, how can we take the most basic things of life that we already do together, like eating a meal, and actually use them to advance the gospel in this generation. And, and actually, both of them talk about how you just use a table the one that is uh, either in your own kitchen or the one that's in your dining room or the, do you guys have, a, is there any restaurant in town that has a community table? What? See, like, seriously? You're not withholding because you're like, she's going to pounce on those people tomorrow and we don't want her at our community table? Okay, so I lived in um, Dillard, Georgia for five and a half years, and the Clayton Cafe, which was in Clayton, Georgia, and still is, but now it's all fancy and new, so... Um, I'm sure it's still lovely. Uh, but it has a community table. And the place would be packed with people who went in to sit with their four people or their two people or whatever, right? And then all the local hoodlums, would, we would just all gravitate together to the one big community table in the back. And you could only, like, keep your seat at the community table so long because there's other community people that wanted to sit down, right? But it was like rotary every day of the week. It's the same people that were in Rotary. We just, you know, had lunch together, you know, frequently at the Clayton Cafe. If you've never been to Rotary, there's another opportunity. Those people are seeking identity, belonging, and purpose as well, right? A lot of them actually know the answers to the questions that we're talking about as well. But when you're thinking about what does it look like to live missionally, what does it look like to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, deployed into the kingdoms of this world, right? We're going to advance the kingdom principles. We know the king. You're a citizen of the kingdom. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Okay. I feel like you probably preach on this stuff, right? It's in the Bible. Okay. If you need a text point for this particular one, a little touch point, um, we're talking here about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. And eventually Paul gets around to talking about our nature as ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you've ever wondered who you are as a Christian, that's who you are. If you've ever wondered what you're in the world to do, there it is. We belong to God in Jesus Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us that others would be reconciled to him. There are a lot of people around the corner and around the world who do not know that they are created in the image of a loving God. The world is telling them that they are simply the product of, of, of the happenstance mixture of time and elements and who knows what. Matter. Matter, time, and chemistry. I don't know. Something else, right? Accident. Okay, if, if you thought you were an accident, how are you ever going to get to the place where you think you have a purpose? What is the purpose of an accident? 
You and I can help people actually make sense of their lives by introducing them to the reality of who God is because knowing the reality of who God is helps us understand the reality of who we are, yes? Now, none of this is new. None of this is new information to you, I'm sure. But what I'm trying to do is help us catch a vision of how we could just do one thing differently on any given day and actually put ourselves in proximity with a person who might be asking the identity question or might be asking the belonging question or might be asking the purpose question, okay? That person may sit next to you in the car. (laughs) And yet you're living your lives in such a way that you're really not in proximity to each other in such a way that you'd ever have a conversation about those questions. Um, If you were to talk to young people today, and when I say young people, I'm talking about anybody from like 13 to 35. Why? Well, because 13 is the new 23, and 35 is the new 18. (laughs) I'm not making that up. That's Fuller Youth Institute's research, okay? We are, we, we are front-loading front kids' experience in such a way that they have so much access and exposure by the time that they're 13 that they are now more like 23-year-olds in terms of what they're dealing with and the questions they're confronting. So the, the 13-year-old, all right, that's the new 23. However, when we think about actually maturation into adulthood and we actually think about the things that we would call adulting, we're now looking at people who are 35 instead of having those expectations of people when they're 18. So when I talk about young adults, I'm talking about a span of people from 13 to 35. That's a pretty wide bandwidth. Do you know somebody in that bandwidth? Like, call them to mind. On the count of three, call out their name. One, two, three. Okay. Seriously? Now, this is participatory. On the count of three, call out their name. One, two, three. Okay. That's your person right now that I want you to be holding in your head and in your heart, okay? Have that person right there and say to yourself, when's the last time I just sat quietly and invited them to just ask whatever questions were on their heart? I'm wondering what you're wondering. I'm just wondering what you're wondering. Do not let them get away with... You know, if you say, well, what's on your mind, and they say nothing, then you can say, "Uh uh-huh, well, I have some things that should be on your mind. (laughs) So as I take that as an invitation, right? I want to have people who are possessed of the mind of Christ, and so if they don't have anything on their mind, I feel obligated to put something on their mind, all right? Invite people to have the questions that they have and respond in the way that Jesus might have responded, which would be what or how? with another question. That's actually called a conversation. (laughs) So when I talk about how Christians are going to get God back into every conversation, it starts with understanding who we are. That we are the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, which means we know the king, we're confident in, 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 in where we're not only going to spend eternity, but what we're in the world to do. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Is that a thing here? Okay. 
Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that we Christians like to say um, is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? As where? When? Mm. See, that's the catchy thing right there, right? We have been praying that prayer as if Jesus meant for us to just have the hope of heaven as like pie in the sky. There's no reason to think that Jesus isn't inviting us to pray that part of the prayer in the same way he's inviting us to pray the daily bread part of the prayer. You're not praying for daily bread hoping that you get it one day in heaven, right? Right? You're hoping you get it how often? So I have this sense that when Jesus is instructing us to invite God, invite God for his will to, to, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus means right now, right here and right now. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to be living demonstrations, living proclamations, living examples of the kingdom of heaven on earth today? The only way that we can do that is as, like, ambassadors. So I want you to think for a moment about an ambassador. If, um, if, if you could go to any country and be an ambassador, where would you go? On the count of three, call out your country. One, two, three. Did anybody say the United States of America? Okay, some people did. And I'm going to just go ahead and say they kind of get it. Okay, don't be longing for God to send you as an ambassador to France. All right? God has people in France. We're going to help those people in France do the ministry that God has called them to do. Guess where God has sent you? Thomasville, Georgia. And unless you want a bunch of people from France to come to Thomasville and get busy turning this more and more into the kingdom of heaven, you, as the ambassadors who happen to be here now, have to do your jobs. It occurs to me that immigration and human migration is a tool of God for getting people all mixed up together in a way that they haven't willingly mixed themselves up. You and I are where we are. This is our section of town. This is our section of the kingdom. And I recognize that we do not yet enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of heaven on earth as we will one day in heaven. I get that. But we are here to be a provisional demonstration of the kingdom of heaven amidst the kingdoms of the earth right now. And this happens to be the kingdom of the earth where God sent us. This kingdom, right here, right now. This is the around the corner part of the conversation. The around the world part of the conversation, I think a lot of Christians have at least figured out in their minds, right? Um, missionaries who, uh, who, who go and live long-term in, uh, in foreign lands or indigenous missionaries who have, who have been raised up over the course of time in a place, and we partner with the church in that country to advance the kingdom uh, in that place. Does this sound familiar? 
These are the testimonies that we, uh, that we hear and the ministries that we all participate in and support. But there's ministry and mission right here, right now. Um, and so I think that because it is maybe the hardest topic for Americans to talk about, maybe the most difficult topic, particularly for Americans in the South to talk about, and because I'm not afraid to talk about anything, um, we're going to talk about race. And we're going to talk about racism, and we're going to talk about the challenge that we face um, today in America as Christians. And I have learned, having had a lot of conversations with black and brown brothers and sisters, that this is a conversation that we cannot just keep saying, well, now y'all tell us what you want us to do. What would help? If you are the person who has the platform, if you are the person who uh, owns the means of production, if you are the person who enjoys generational wealth, you're the person who has to set the table. And then you have to be willing to let other people bring whatever food they want and then rearrange the furniture. And you say to yourself, not in my house which is when we better get a grip on the fact that these are not our houses and this certainly is not our house. So, we are um, a people, when we talk about Christians, I'm going to talk specifically here about Christians. We are a people of one blood. We are a people of one body. We are a people with one Father and one Lord. We are a people of one kingdom. We are a people of one family. I think that as long as we have been able to think about loving other people who aren't like us as loving our neighbor, we have felt like, well, I can be here and they can be over there. So, because, right, your neighbor doesn't actually move into your house, right? Mine doesn't, you know, right? We have 45 acres separating us, and that is sometimes not enough. <laughs> so when we talk about loving neighbor, sometimes we get in our minds that I can go over there and I can serve them and then I can come back to my house and I can do my own thing, but I really don't have to be in an ongoing relationship with them. I can be sure they're getting the help that they need over there as my neighbor. Here's the challenge with the Christian community, with this Christian family business. These aren't our neighbors. These are our siblings. These are members of the household of God that we're talking about. These are people with whom we share the one blood of Jesus Christ. These are the brothers and sisters with whom we are going to spend all eternity And so I can't treat them as neighbor. I have to actually treat them as sibling, as, as a person about whom I care as much as I care about my own flesh and blood. 
I think that until we get to the place where we get that Christians come in all colors, until we get that concept, we are not going to get the nature of the church as God intends. Now, I'm not saying that all of a sudden, this, this particular church is going to become multi-ethnic or multicultural or multilingual or multi-anything. I have no idea if that's in God's, uh, in, God's, in God's plan for this particular congregation. I can tell you that's his plan for the church as the bride of Christ, big C. And this is one expression of it. Yes? So, um, so one of my challenges to, to each of us would be to think less about how am I going to reach out to my neighbor, because again, they're going to stay over there in their house, and how instead am I going to begin to see, converse with, share meals with, do life with my black and brown brothers and sisters in such a way that we actually become the family that we are in Jesus Christ. So, what you're not going to like about my approach to the around-the-corner mission conversation um, is that I think it has to get right in here. It has to get right in here. It has to get right here. Um, so, here, uh, here are some ideas. Now, this actually grows out of uh, a conversation that a bunch of pastors are having about how can evangelical Christians reach out in America to Jewish and uh, Islamic leaders so that we at least all know each other, um, so that when bad things happen in our communities, we can respond in a way that's collegial, okay? So what I'm sharing with you now, actually, I just stole from them, because as they were talking about it, I'm like, this is clearly what we should be doing with everybody, not just across, uh, you know, some, some kind of... Um, uh, religious divide that might exist, but across every dividing line of hostility that continues among us, all right? Which, by, by the way, we're brought low in Jesus Christ. We just keep building them back up. All right, so here you go. Here's a list. My note taper, takers should get that pencil that's in the middle of the table and write this down. Okay, number one, you have to actually commit to it. Trust me when I tell you, if you do not commit to changing the way you relate to black and brown people, it is not going to happen. You are not going to... Okay, so I'm going to use a term that you're not going to like, so just let me just get it right out there, right? If I were to use the word racist, that sounds bad, doesn't it? That sounds like a bad thing. I don't want to be a racist. I suspect that by some people's judgment, I am. I can commit to being actively anti-racist. All right, this is a new language that I've learned from Jamar Tisby. If you want to read somebody that'll make you uncomfortable, he wrote a book called The Color of Compromise. It will make you uncomfortable. Um, that doesn't mean he's wrong. So when, when, when we think about committing to something, I'm not going to commit uh, to be um, colorblind. I want to be seen for who I am, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to have some part of me erased by, you know, having people say, oh, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. That phooey, that's not true. I mean, unless you're one of those people that actually doesn't see color, and then I'm really sorry, because like, 
They have like corrective glasses for that now. Have you seen those like, f- those like ads on Facebook and YouTube where they give a person who's like got that weird colorblindness and they see balloons for the first time and it's, okay, well anyway, that's a sideline. Um, people of color, whatever color we are, we're not really interested in people not seeing us. All right? We are interested in people seeing us for who we are. Um, and so get to know, a, commit yourself Commit yourself to getting to know a Christian of color. That's number one. We cannot go to number two unless we're at least going to commit to doing that. Now, if you were going to commit to that, the second one is really easy. This is, this is not even, this is like that fill-in-the-blank test that nobody is going to miss. What would you need to do? What would be the first thing that you would need to do to act on your commitment to actually get to know a person of color. It starts with an M, it has two E's in the middle and it ends with a T. <laughs> Meet someone. Now, I know that sounds like crazy and simple, but most white evangelical Christians in America today do not have a friend, do not have one friend who is black or brown. And it's not, I'm not, so I'm not here to say, you know, we're anything other than ordinary if we don't have a black or brown friend. I'm here to say, if we're going to commit to, be, to being actively anti-racist, to actually building the kingdom of, of heaven here in this community as it exists up there, I know it's not up, just bear with me. Then we have to not just commit in our heart or commit with our dollars to do something nice in some other part of town. We have to actually desire, have a heart desire to be in relationship with one another. So, you got to meet somebody. And then you got to have some fellowship together. Now, so far, does any of this sound hard or scary? Or unusual. Some of you are thinking, I gotta start a community table at some restaurant in town so that I can I can facilitate this. Good! That would be a great way of changing what's happening in your community on this front. I am not going to suggest that the next thing that you do is invite each other to your churches and worship together and no. Pick something in the community to do together that's not related to either one of your churches. Um, is there anybody in the room who is either has any access in this community to um, health care, education, or any, any sort of like first responder, police, fire? Any, any, anybody, have I touched anybody yet? Because I need a hand. I need somebody with whom I can have a conversation. I need a willing... I need a willing partner for this part of the conversation. How about a journalist? Okay. Can you just stand up? Because I can't really see you very well. Fantastic. Um, I'm just going to run down a list of things that are issues in other communities. And you just hold up your hand every time you know this is some kind of issue in your community. Um, uh, opioids. Overdose. Violence. Domestic violence, gangs, oh good, oh well, maybe some, um, um, 
Anybody want to offer up something else? Okay, thank you. If we had had an educator instead of a healthcare professional, I might have said um, incidents of um, kids not having enough to eat or kids showing up to school every day in the same clothes that don't fit or um, evidence that kids aren't getting any help at home um, and probably aren't eating other than at school, okay? So that would have been my like food desert conversation or something like that, okay? so. When I say, or, you know, or if we'd ask, a, if it just been a room full of women, I would have said, does anybody in here know a single mom? Okay, and every hand would have gone up. And if every hand didn't go up, there's something wrong with us, because trust me, there are single moms out there, and we should know them. And if we're going to be genuinely pro-life, and by the way, I think you should have a definition for that if you're going to use that term, I am pro-life for all of life from conception to natural death. So figure out what your own definition is and your own parameters because you're going to have to be able to defend it. All right? So that happens to be mine that I use. Okay, so if I'm going to be genuinely pro-life, then I'm not just going to advocate that someone who is pregnant have a baby. I am going to be her friend and I am going to invite her into the community of people who will be the family for her and for that child. And if I am not willing to do that, I better zip my lips when it comes to telling people they have to have babies. Now, I love babies, and I think there should be lots of babies. I think all the babies that are conceived should be born. But I also know that for Christians, that means we got to get our act together in terms of how we're going to actually be the family, the grandmas, and the aunties, and the daddies for all those babies as they grow up and become mature. Yes? That's, so that's the around the corner conversation here, okay? It's one thing to support um, crisis pregnancy centers. If you have one, please support it. Those people are doing admirable work. But don't just support it financially. Actually ask them, What would, what would I need to do? What would I need to know? How might I take a young woman into my house, into my home, into my family, into the fellowship of the people at my church and help her raise that baby? Because if you want to know people that are struggling with issues of identity and belonging and purpose, meet an unwed pregnant woman who is literally on her own. She does not know how she's going to do that. And even if she wants to do it, she does not know how to put together the constellation of resources that are required. The people in this room know how to do that and know how to love kids. How do I know? I've already seen it manifested in this room tonight. So, I don't know, I'm all over the page. These, by the way, are my notes for my talk, so I know that you, yeah. All right, I want to say one more thing about, um, about the racial conversation, because I think it's one that we're, we are really, we're trying to stir up. It, it's, it's already stirred up out there, so we might as well be stirring it up in here, okay? When you think about um, the kingdom of heaven, what do you see in your mind's eye? 
Worship? Did somebody say worship? No. Wolves? Is that what I heard? What did I hear? I'm not, I'm not hearing music because you've read Revelation and you're like, there's a lot of singing going on. All right? Who, who do you think you see? Loved ones. You think you see loved ones? Who do you primarily see in Revelation filling the whole scene? Jesus, right? So Jesus is big in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, and he's worshiped and he's glorified. And there's some people saying, that does not sound like any fun. <laughs> well, you need to hang out a little more with Johnny Payne, right? <laughs> right? You want to be trained up in what eternity is going to feel like. Let me, uh, let me, the song that we sang, like think about this just for a moment. How great is our God? What? It's a question. How, so, so let me ask that question to you. How, how great is your God? Worthy to be praised, right? Trustworthy, sovereign, got it all handled, probably not worried about the stuff we're worried about, revealed, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. How great is our God? Have you ever had God show up and do something that you didn't even think to ask. That is grace. I mean, it's grace when God answers a prayer in a way that aligns with what we asked, but that doesn't feel quite as, like, stunning. When God delivers on something that I didn't even think to ask about or I didn't ask enough, like, I asked for this, and God gave this, right? Those are the times that you need to write those down in your journal and when somebody's like, how great is your God? You can be like, oh, I have a whole page on that. <laughs> this is how great my God is. These are the testimonies and stories from my own life where I can declare the goodness and the greatness of God. If you don't have a page like that in your journal, you need to start one. Hymnody, these songs we sing, are supposed to be instigations, not just for uh, communal worship. They're supposed to be instigations for personal worship throughout life. Don't just sing the My Baloney Has a First Name song when you're driving down the road. Actually, like, sing How Great Is My God. Like, don't you wish that our songs jingled in the mind of the culture in the same way that My Baloney Has a First Name gets stuck in your head? It's been stuck in my head since my show this morning when some guest said the word baloney, and I have not been able to get Oscar Mayer out of my mind all day long a nightmare. Double mint gum. Now I've done it to you. Okay. There's a whole generation of people in the room that have no idea what we're talking about, but that's okay. You're going to commit. You're going to commit to being anti-racist, which means actively anti-racist. Committing to actually make a friend well, that might be too much. Commit to meeting someone 
whose melatonin level is different than your own? Is it not melatonin? Melanin? Mela? Mel something, right? I don't do good with the science questions. Okay. You know what I mean. All right. You're on it now. See, it's good. You can actually go up to somebody and be like, is your melatonin level different than mine? And they'll be like, what? And they'll be like, I don't know. I heard some lady at church. And so what is it? Because now, now we need the word. Melanin. Melanin. See, look, everybody knows. It's so good. Okay. Commit to meeting one-on-one. -on -one. <clears throat> Commit to fellowshipping in Christ. Break bread together. Okay, this is the way uh, relationships are formed, not just in conversation, but in actual breaking of bread. You know, Christ is made known in the breaking of the bread. Have you read that story? That's in the Bible too. Like you got the walk to Emmaus. How is Christ made known to them? In the breaking of the bread. It's table fellowship. <clears throat> Commit, meet, fellowship. And then talk about what's going on in your community and identify some vulnerable person or vulnerable group of people. Um, if you don't think that there is sex trafficking in Thomasville, Georgia, you would be wrong. If you don't think that there are people being trafficked as slaves right now, you're wrong. If you want to find vulnerable people, ask your police officers to introduce you to somebody in town that's working with trafficking victims. You and your new varied skin color friend can, can go and serve together. Somebody else who's in greater need than any one of you. In serving together, we begin not only to experience what it, what it is to manifest the incarnation of Christ in the world, we begin to recognize the equal footing upon which we stand with this other Christian who's not like us. We recognize that we stand on equal footing at creation, both as image bearers of the same God, that we stand on equal footing at the cross in need of salvation by the same Christ, and that we stand on equal footing ultimately in the kingdom of heaven. And that right now we stand on equal footing right here, bringing all of heaven to bear on the earth. To what purpose and to what end? That God might be glorified and that we together might actually fulfill the hope that was in the heart of Christ when he prayed the priestly prayer in John 17. That by our love for one another, other people would know that he is real and that he's really Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have created us. You have claimed us in Christ. You have cleansed us. You have called us. You have equipped us. And you have sent us to be ambassadors of your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this earth. And we acknowledge before you tonight that we um, are imperfect ambassadors. But we want to do better. We want to more faithfully 
show forth the gospel. We want to more faithfully advance the gospel always and in all ways. Father, we want to know our brothers and sisters in Christ who, um, who come from different heritage, heritages and even from different nations because we recognize that the kingdom of heaven is, is going to be tribal in a way that we can't even imagine. We also recognize, Father, that we are people of great privilege. And we recognize we bear a responsibility to care for the least of these, our brothers and sisters, and also to care for widows and or- orphans, not only those who are really widowed and really orphaned, but those who are the most vulnerable in our communities today. So, Father, help us to see what we're not seeing in our co- own community and help us share the love of Christ not only around the world, but around the corner. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.